Welcome to Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Join us as we cover conservation updates, tips and tricks to campfire chats. Good afternoon, Mr. Hamilton. It is, isn't it? Number 23? Just, yeah, 23. uh, Fantastic episode. Um, Just... Uh, chatting with Dean Capuano. Dean's uh, director of communications with Swarrow, Swarovski North America, Swarovski Optic mm-hmm. North America. Uh, fantastic guy. Uh, met Dean down at Sheep Show a couple of years ago, and uh, he's been a, a force. He's also host of a hunting show, Swarovski Optic Quest. Uh, it's a show on the Outdoor Channel, um, and yeah, just a great host, great guy, and uh, uh, diehard hunter too. He's uh, a really interesting guy to talk to. Yeah. He- I saw the name and I'm like, Capuano, I know that name. And then I remember there's a Dave Capuano that used to play for the Canucks in the 90s that I was a big fan of. And well, to find out in the, the call that they're related, which is kind of expected, right? When uh, it's not really a a, a a popular last name, we'll say, right? Yes. It's, it's one you don't hear all the time. It, it, it's, it's kind of like Stelter, right? There's only a few of you out there. So you hear it and yeah. chances are you're related. Yeah. So I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know for sure. Interesting. He was drafted by Boston. Yes. Um, played played hockey uh, all over. Uh, diehard uh, hockey player, and like I said, his I think that was his cousin. Uh, yep. Played for the Canucks. Uh, was his uncle uh, coached for the Islanders? He said. Uh, uh, was, uh, yeah, Jack would have been Jack Capuano. Yeah. That was a coach. Yeah. So yeah, the diehard um, family when it comes to hockey is as well, right? So yeah, interesting conversation. Pretty neat to to dive deep into stuff mm-hmm. with Dean. Talk about his past and. Some of his cool hunts. He's hunted dull sheep, stone sheep, and um, yeah, pretty interesting to hear his five continents. Stories. Five continents. Yeah. Wow. I'm. I thought I was doing good with one. I was gonna. I was yeah. gonna hit. I was gonna hit two in September, but COVID. So, but yeah, five. That's yeah. insane. That's we yeah. can all all aspire there. Yeah, he's got some pretty cool hunts. Uh, check him out on the uh, outdoor channel and uh, interesting guy. And uh, yeah, you know Swarovski's such a cool company. You know they have. Uh, such a great ethos. We talk about that a little bit about on this podcast. Absolutely, Do some really great work. So, uh, but let's talk about a couple of housekeeping things for the, the Wild Sheep Society BC, um, our Act Now campaign, and uh, then we'll jump into registration for our Wild Sheep Salute to Conservation. So Act Now, uh, it's going well, Steve? Yeah, it, uh, we rolled that out, what, three days ago coming up now, and we're 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 doing well. Uh, hunters are quite a bit more engaged than they were when we lost the grizzly hunt, but we're nowhere near the numbers we need to be yet. So www.wildsheepsociety.com forward slash act now. We've made it we've made it stupidly easy. You go on there, you find your MLA if you don't know who it is, and you click in your name and your email address and hit submit. Might be a captcha, tell you which squares have buses in them or whatever it's going to be for the day, but yeah, it, we've made it easy. Two minutes of your time, 
please fill it out. Uh, all these letters go to your elected officials and uh, it's, it's time to make a stand and we're being proactive instead of reactive because we know there's constant barrage against us. So use your voice, uh, share it to your friends, share it to your non-hunters because this is about more than just hunting. We know these groups don't don't want fishing to happen. We know some of these groups don't want any backcountry access to happen. So as, as we saw with the grizzly bear, this is just the, 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 the tip of the iceberg. So it's time to uh, take our stand. Yeah, well said. So our goal, what we want to do is we want to show up in June with 25,000 letters. Let's say we stand for hunting. We stand for science-based wildlife management. And um, our goal is to deliver those in June. Um, numbers have been good. We're seeing about a thousand letters a day, which is fantastic. We're approaching 4,000 now as we are in day four. Um, but we need to keep that going. We can't um, step back. And some people are saying, hey, um, you know, my, my buddy's not a hunter, but he believes in what we do. Can he sign? Of course he can um, or she can. Uh, the key is get the letters um, signed, get them out there. And it doesn't matter if you believe in it, um, sign it. it do you don't have to be a hunter. Another question was, is, hey, I'm in the U.S. or I'm overseas, can I sign a letter? Of course you can. Um, you know, if you know your MLA, select your MLA. If you're outside the country, obviously you don't have one. But, uh, you know, these mm -hmm. petitions, these letters from other groups, they go to the premier, they go to these ministers, and they're outside the country as well. So we can do this. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but certainly if you live in B.C., you have to do it. It's so important. And if you're outside the country please support it. It's great, a great cause. Um, and what happens here in BC, it seems to be the front lines for this stuff, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, get involved here, make the stand and, um, hopefully it won't, you won't have to deal with it in um, other jurisdictions. A month ago, we saw it in California. Uh, they tried to push the, the black bear hunt closed and 25,000 people took action from uh, around North America and said, this isn't going to happen. And they hashtag guard the gate and guess what? It worked. They, the, uh, the elected official withdrew the bill. So we, we have seen it work here and it, it will again. We just need everybody on board with it. We need to show up in June with numbers that we've never. We have 110,000 resident hunt. You see, imagine if each one of us was able to recruit five people to that cause. We, we'd have half a million people immediately and it's, it's doable. It really and truly is. So if, if, if you stand for sound wildlife management and protecting our hunter heritage, you just take yeah, two well minutes. Said. Okay, um, just a quick segue. I'm not going to talk too much about it, but if you haven't registered for our wild sheep salute to conservation, you need to do that now. Um, it's March 12th and 13th. It's all free. You don't need to do anything. All you need to do is sign up. Uh, by signing up, you're going to get full access uh, to all our stuff. Uh, plus, we're giving away a... Uh, Sitka, our conservation partner Sitka Gear is giving away a uh, Jetstream jacket free. There's nothing. You don't have, all you have to do is put your name and your email in. That's all you need to do. And you get a chance to win that um, Jetstream jacket. If you want to help us pay for this event, because it is costing us money, donate 20 bucks and you're going to get your name in for a Yeti Roadie cooler. Um, you can win that. $20 donation and $100 donation gets you in um, for a Stone Glacier backpack. Um, beautiful backpack from Stone Glacier. Mm -hmm. um, all three of these are sponsored our event, making this happen. So if you do nothing, just register for free. Um, get in, and then if you want to take it up and, and help support us, that's great too. But we got a great lineup plan. Uh, Adam Foss, we've got uh, Don, Donald Martin is going to be our guest speaker. He's always a riot. He's 
um, professional guide. He's absolutely mm-hmm. hilarious. Former actor. Actually, I think he's still acting. He's just hilarious. Um, we've got Tatum Minode, uh, Jesse Young, uh, Barney's uh, Sports Shelly is putting on the Friday night uh, fun night with, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, exactly. Horn Play aging. Is doing horn aging. Uh, Ryan Leaf is doing a um, uh, backpacking seminar, backcountry seminar. So lots of great stuff. There's a lot more than that. Projects, updates. It's going to be a fun time. Tons of giveaways. Uh, registration's free. WildSheepSociety.com. And uh, click on the icon on the front page to go to the registration. And, and off we go. And make sure you register to bid on our online auctions as well. You can hit that link through uh, the website. And because uh, there's going to be some auctions coming up, uh, timed and live. And make sure you register beforehand because it would suck to hit that link and then go, oh, I should have registered and miss out on something. Yeah, so really, there's really those wanted. two places you need to register and, and you can find both at either site. So that one is wssbc.onlinehuntingauctions.com. Oh. We'll put it in the show notes uh, where to go to register, but get that done. So uh, with that, episode 23, Dean Capuano, Director of Communications, Swarovski Optic North America. Enjoy the show. Across Canada and throughout the world, If you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Hello, Dean. How's things with you today? It's going great, guys. I appreciate you having me on today. So there's a big wall of whitetails there, and I know you're a whitetail hunter, but uh, nothing says <laughs> whitetail like that wall behind you. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm pretty fortunate. I get to hunt a lot of stuff, and but whitetails are my my true passion. I grew up hunting them. I still, it's my favorite animal to hunt. So, um, yeah, whitetails are my thing for sure. Uh, right on. Well, that picture says it all right there. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Dean, I know you've uh, you've done a lot of stuff in the hunting world. Uh, you've got your own hunting show. Um, you know, you're you're running things over there at Swarovski Optic North America for the communication side of things. Uh, but uh, and I know you're, uh, you know, a lifelong hunter. You, you grew up in it. So let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, how you got started, where that all came from for you, Dean. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I kind of tell my, my daughter now, I've had a gun in my hand since I was probably four or five years old. I kind of, I grew up around it. You know, my family was, was uh, they were all big hunters. My father really was the one that got myself and my brother into it at a, at a very young age. And, you know, fortunately, growing up in the Northeast, we had a lot of opportunities, whether it was deer or turkeys or pheasants. You know, we were always doing something. Um you know, as I grew up, I, I played a lot of hockey growing up. So, you know, through my, I guess my teenage years, I didn't have as much time in the winter. So I got into fishing a lot more, but never, never lost my love for hunting. I always found time to, to whitetail hunt, even during the hockey season. So uh, I've been doing it my whole life. Uh, that's awesome, man. So, you know, those whitetails there, are they all Rhode Island bucks? Are they, you, you're traveling all over the, the Midwest for that? Where do you, where do you, where are you killing these bucks at? Yeah, I mean, I've been pretty fortunate the last few years to hunt Kansas and Iowa and places like that that we all talk about that are, um, you know, just awesome for whitetail hunting. But for me, I love hunting at home. I mean, we don't, you know, you you shoot a 150-inch buck here and and you're doing something right. But I just love the fact that, you know, anytime I travel, 
you know, it always seems to have somewhat of an agenda, whether it's filming a show or, you know, hunting with, uh, you know, somebody, a VIP or something like that. So it's so nice to come home and just, just hunt, just hunt by myself and, and kind of, that's what keeps me grounded in this industry. You know, everyone, everyone looks at a lot of us in this industry and they're like, oh, you know, I want your job. And believe me, some days they can have it, you know, because it does get busy. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the more responsibility you get, it, it kind of takes you away from the things you, you got into the industry in the first place. But that's why I just love hunting at home. I usually take a week off in November and just, you know, just sit in a tree and just uh, enjoy being outside. Right on. So that was my question for you. Are you guys hunting out of tree stands down there in Rhode Island or, or is that the, the main method for you guys? Or? Yeah, I mean, certainly in the Northeast, we do a lot of tree stand hunting. I mean, I just, I love sitting there watching the woods wake up. But, you know, to be honest with you, the last couple of years, I've gotten more into trying to get them on the ground. Um, mm. It's just kind of adds to the challenge. And especially I, I do a lot of bow hunting at home because we, we're such a small state. We don't even have a rifle season. So that part of it kind of gets taken out. So I do do a lot of hunting back home. And this year was a little different. I mean, usually by the time the first of the year rolls around, I mean, our season goes from September 15th through January 31st. So we have a really long oh, wow. season here. And, and no uh, you know, the problem that I usually have is by the time January 1 rolls around, we're, we're neck deep in SHOT Show and, and all the trade shows, SCI, Dallas. So this year was a little different. I got a little time at home, so I spent more time um, in January hunting than I ever did. And that's when it gets really good here. I mean, the rut is great and for a week or so in November, but really when it starts to get cold here is when the hunting gets uh, even better. Hmm. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So did you, did you kill a buck this, this uh, I guess, this winter? You know, I, I um, yes, I did. But what happens with me, at least the last few years, is I get very focused on one deer. And, you know, I had this deer that he was showing up last year and, you know, I had a, had an opportunity at him during late bow season last year. And I just, he was, he was almost there. And, and, uh, I just, I felt like he needed one more year. And this year he was, he was just a stud and, and, uh, he showed up one morning, uh, during daylight hours that was marginal at best. And he was 70 yards off. I just never could get a shot at him. And, had plenty of trail cam pictures of him and chased him. Thought I was going to catch up with him, but the good news is, uh, you know, I got a picture of him. I think it was like January 14th with with one horn. So uh, I know he made it through. We haven't had a bad winter, so I'm hoping next year he's going to be even bigger. So uh, that's what wow. happens. I get focused on one. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's that's awesome. That's that's a big part of it too. That's a lot of fun. So with that um, with that scenario with your when you're bow hunting. Is that you're doing that on the ground, spot and stalk? That's got to be in a tree stand, obviously, with that. Eh? Uh, or are you just spot little, and stalk a, there? A little bit of both. It's not so much spot wow. and stalk. No, not so much spot and stalk around here. Just finding good spots where you know the runs are and wait for them to come. I mean, you could never move through a lot of these woods and get on the big ones. But you know, I've really, really took a took a liking to kind of finding a spot, waiting for them to come, and trying to get them on the ground. It's it's just a whole different deal. So I, I love it. Yeah, it's very tough. cool. It's tough. I mean, you're losing most of the time. <laughs> lots yeah. of homework. Lots of homework exactly. in that to find those uh, those runs. Yep, for sure. I I grew up whitetail hunting too, uh, Dean, and that's certainly a passion of mine. I haven't hunted whitetails for years now, being on the coast here, but uh, it's just such a fun hunt, and you know they're just so amazing to see on the ground. And I, uh, ph phenomenal oh, they're beautiful. animals. And, yeah, yeah. they really uh, they really are. And so cunning. It's unbelievable. You know, I just. 
growing up, they were always so bloody smart. You had to be so far ahead of them to to have any success. So yeah, always a good time for sure. And that's and that's the thing with me with the whitetails. They're just so smart. You know, there's part of me that gets frustrated because I'm so competitive on certain days, but. The, it doesn't take long. Two minutes later, I'm like, God, it's just awesome that they're that smart. And they're, they, I mean, if they had guns or bows, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned your daughter. Is she getting to the age where she can go out in the field now, or is she still a bit young for that? Yeah, no, she's 11. And uh, she's been, I mean, she's been out in the field since she was born. You know, she's been with me turkey hunting. She hasn't really hunted yet. Um, you know, as far as shooting herself, we're getting to that point. I think you can get a junior license here when you're 12. So it'll be next year. But she's been out with me. She loves it. And, you know, I I, I raise her just to kind of, you know, be outdoors and love the outdoors. I and mean, that's what it's all about for me. And we eat a lot of venison and a lot of elk here. I mean, you know, I was just had, telling the story last night. I mean, we probably buy steak maybe three or four times a year. That's it. We're, we're we're big on the venison, big on the big on the elk here, and especially this year with COVID, you really saw how how important that all becomes. And and uh, yeah, that's the way I brought her up. She'd been eating elk and whitetail since she was, you know, a year old. That's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. So you know, we talked a little bit about your your whitetail experience. You've been around the world. You've hunted on five continents. Um, you've killed sheep. You've killed deer. You've killed bears. You've done it all, kind of. So you know. It, when you think of everything you've done, and I, I know your passion is whitetails, but what stands out for you? What what comes to mind when you're thinking about your hunts that you've been on that really resonates? I mean, definitely the two sheep hunts, which I'm sure we'll get into here in a little bit. Those, you know, the sheep hunting for me is is it's the ultimate, right? It's it's mental, it's physical, it's it's everything. So that kind of wraps my whole lifestyle into it, but. You know, outside of the sheep, let's leave that as a side topic here we'll get into. But, you know, I, I did a brown bear hunt in Russia that I thought was probably one of my best hunts that I'd ever done. Um, you know, the hunting over there for brown bear, it's not the most challenging hunt like a sheep hunt would be physically and mentally. But just the whole experience of, of going to Russia, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a kid. I grew up in the 80s. I watched all those videos of the Soviet army rolling mm-hmm. through Red Square and the Cold War and all that. So. <laughs> Being over there to experience that that country and kind of seeing the whole thing um, just was something that, you know, that's that's definitely tops on the list for sure. Yeah, every time I'd hear a helicopter in high school, you'd look up and you'd get ready to yell Wolverines, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that movie's come up a little bit more lately too. Yeah, so, it has. Uh, it's, but it was fun. That trip, you know, just to see how big, you know, Russia really is as a as a well, I mean, now it's split up a little bit for sure compared to what it was. But, you know, to, to get in the West and in and, and close to Siberia to hunt those animals. And that was my first brown bear hunt, too. So I probably had a lot to do with it. But just that whole experience, you know, spending a couple of days in Moscow and meeting a lot of those people. And it's amazing to get over there. And, and, and that's the whole culture aspects of these hunts are really something I've gotten into. And just to talk to so many of the Russians and, and they're so inquisitive about what America is really like. And, you know, to, to kind of see their side of it was, was really cool. Really, really cool. Well, that's awesome. So you, you flew into Moscow then did you, you were, it was Western Siberia. You're hunting. It wasn't Kamchatka. It was farther yeah. to the West then. It was a little further West, but we, you know, we flew into Moscow and then we flew all the way into um, Petropavlovsk and kind of traveled up from there. That experience in and of itself. I mean, I think we went, 
you know, it was like a, what, a 10 hour flight from New York to Moscow. And then I think in the neighborhood of, of the same from Moscow to Petropavlovsk, I've kind of blocked it out at this point. But <laughs> I think we figured it was like 40 hours of street wow. traveling to get there. I wish we had filmed it. That was kind of before we were doing the show and we did just a kind of a writer hunt that was with a few magazines at the time. And, and um, you know, I wish I had that on film at this point. I'd love to go back and do it. I just don't know that it would be the same at this point. That was when yeah. they first opened a lot of that up. You know, right. so it was so new and so different. Yeah. So you spent a bunch of time in Moscow then, or you just passed through type thing? No, we did. So on the way through, we passed through. But on the way back, we spent a few days there. And it was uh, it was definitely eye-opening. You know, we we uh, the one disheartening thing is you, you go into Red Square, and you're, you're, you're kind of looking around, and you're half thinking, all right, the Red Army's going to come rolling through at any minute. <laughs> you turn around, there's like a McDonald's and a Benetton and things like that. So I'm sure it's... Church changed a little bit since the 80s, but uh, still really cool to see a lot of that architecture and, and the food is great. So, um, yeah, that was a really cool experience. Right on. So that, that's kind of a cool aspect of it. And I think you're doing these international hunts. I, I haven't had the chance to do it myself, but a lot of guys talk about it's the culture and understanding the people and, and you know, uh, these guys that are on the ground that probably aren't making a lot of money. Um, and you, you get to meet these people and understand their culture a little bit. It looks like a big part of what, what these international hunts are about, hey? Yeah, for sure. And with the show, we always try to build that into. And, and for me, that's such a huge piece, just personally, to kind of see these countries, meet these people. And, you know, there have been other places like Spain. And, you know, Argentina is one of my favorite places on the planet. But that whole Russian trip, just because, like, you know, I'm sure we all grew up to some extent not liking Russia. Right. I mean, they didn't like us. We didn't like them. Um, you know, when I was when I was probably oh God, how old was I? I was probably 10 or 11. I went over there to play in a hockey tournament. And, you know, I was so young and it was so different back then that we didn't see much other than like our hotel room in the rink. So to kind of, you know, get in some of the local restaurants and really meet some of the locals, get in some of their bars and places like that. It was uh, it was a really cool experience. But, Probably something I wouldn't have appreciated anyways at 10 years old, but, you know, um, now at this point, I really did try to take it all in. Uh, that's fantastic. So, yeah, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit about your youth. You talked about your, you know, you, you were playing hockey, and I think you were drafted by Boston um, yep. as well, right? Yeah so, yeah. so you were playing hockey, and so how did that transition to the hunting world come? How did you end up uh, doing what you're doing now? So, yeah, I come from a really big hockey family between myself, my brother and um, several cousins. We were all we're all NHL draft picks that my cousin David played the most. I mean, I think he's got uh, I think he had like six or eight hundred games. Matter of fact, he played for Vancouver for a couple of years um, back in, I guess that was the early 90s. Um, I got one. Yep. So my cousin Jack was the head coach of the New yep. York Islanders for for several years. So we, we grew up around it. Um, you know, I lived in Kelowna, BC for probably eight months. I came up and played, uh, had a bad back injury in college when I was rehabilitating. I came up and played for the uh, Kelowna Spartans at the time. I was in the British Columbia Junior Hockey League, so I didn't lose any college eligibility. And uh, so, yeah, I love, I love Canada. I love hockey. But so once hockey finished, it was kind of one of those things like, all right, you know, what am I going to do? And um, Swarovski Optic, their office was literally less than a mile from my house. And um, my sister, who was 
running uh, the head of sales and marketing for Blue Cross and Blue Shield health coverage down here at the time was handling all their health coverage. And she happened to say one day, hey, that, you know, that company that makes hunting products is, is hiring. So I literally walked in and begged them for a job. And at that point, <laughs> I think we had um, maybe nine or 10 people in the total office there that was handling all of the sales marketing in the U.S., um, you know, I think as of yesterday, we had 95 people. So we've we've had significant growth. But I mean, basically, wow. I went in and begged them for a job. When I first went in, I was just kind of doing customer service stuff, which I thought, nah, it's all right. But let me get my foot in the door. This is a hunting company. I've been hunting my whole life. Let's see what happens. And, um, you know, as time went on, they decided to, the president at the time decided to bring all the sales and marketing in-house and asked me if I wanted to head up the marketing side of things. And pretty much jumped at that. And that was uh, oof, 19 years ago, 18 years ago. So wow. um, yeah, now we now we handle all the, the sales and marketing in the US, Canada and Mexico. And like I said, we've got a staff of, uh, you know, just about 100 people. Um, some of our sales reps kind of living in their territories, but still 100 people in the company. And, and I'm sure you guys know the growth has been just just astronomical. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, you know, it's a testament to the product, Dean, and the job you guys are doing in marketing and, and communicating that aspect of it. And I will jump into that. Why, you know, there's a lot of things I like about Swaro. As you know, I run all your guys' products, just love what you guys do. Um, but the ethos of the company and, and how you guys market yourselves and what you stand for. And then above all, to be honest with you, is just the quality of the product. You know, yeah. um, Swaro's amazing. So we'll jump into to more about the company here in a minute. But uh, so you came to the company, you got involved, um, you started the show. So that's a cool component of it. Um, now, I know you've been on a stone and doll sheep so hunt. So we uh, bread and butter of what we do is, is wild sheep. So so let's jump into that. I think you did your doll, yeah. she doll sheep hunt first, right? Yeah, so I did. Um, I did two doll sheep hunts before I got one. So there were two experiences that I'm sure you guys have heard all kinds of crazy sheep experiences. But yeah, I mean, that first hunt I did, um, that was in the was that in the Brooks range. Yeah, that was in the Brooks range. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I tell everybody about that story that kind of just personifies it, I went into that hunt, I was 206 pounds and I came out of that hunt. I was 184 pounds and oh. we were, we were eating good, but it was, it was 13 days of, um, hell, you know, I mean, it's what it was. So it, it just, you know, we were up and down the hill and, and knowing then what I know now, I would have just went up and camped. You know, what, what we did was, uh, you know, we, we went up and down every day back to camp three or four hours on the horses, the outfitter, um, you know, he's, he's a good outfitter. He's still around, but I question the way we looking back at that hunt. I question the way we <laughs> did it. Um, I, I certainly earned it. And then same thing that the, um, second one I did, I made it about seven days and just, I had the flu so bad. I only got about six days of hunting in and, you know, it got to the point I'm like, Oh God, two dull sheep hunts. When is this ever going to happen? And then, um, <laughs> Then I hunted with Nathan Olmstead, which I'm sure you guys know, Prophet Musquad. Nathan's a good buddy of mine, and we finally put a hunt together, and, and uh, we shot one on day one. <laughs> so it was I, – and I didn't feel bad about it at all because I felt like I earned it. Well, absolutely. So, and you look at the number of days you put in. You've got uh, 13 days on, on the first trip, 20 on the second, and then, I guess, day one, 21, three yeah. weeks. And 
you know, everyone says all oh, these guided hunts are can hunts, so they're easy. They are not no, easy, no. <laughs> as you can attest, right? So, uh, yeah, it's uh, that's very cool. Um, so, what year was that? That you uh, oh, were, were they subsequent that, years? Did you do all three in it? Like no, year after so year? the so the first one, and I don't even remember the years, but the, there was there was a year in between the first two, and then there was probably three years in between that and when I got it. So it was. You know, it was a good five or six year process to get the doll and and um it's just those hunts for me you know coming up being so competitive growing up those sheep hunts just it's hard to explain to someone who's never done it right you guys know like i'm sure you're immersed in in sheep people who totally understand it but and so am i but then you have these conversations with folks that might just whitetail hunter out of the northeast or whatever and they just they just don't get it, you know, and I, 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 maybe I didn't even get it until about, I don't know, after the first sheep hunt, I was like, I don't know if this is for me, you know, like, I just, I, I don't know if I got the heart and the soul to do this, but then I think, you know, I went back, so I thought, yeah, all right, there's something there, and then, um, you know, by the end of that second hunt, I was like, all right, I can see why this is, is what it is, and once I finally got my doll, and, and that experience with Nathan, you know, we were, we, were, we, we only hunted one day, but we were a couple days traveling into camp and having that whole piece of it. You know, I mean, the, the day one, I'm only counting as hunting day. I mean, we were probably two or three days. You know, we, we, we had a 12-hour horseback the first day or first, before even that. You know, you fly into mm-hmm. a remote camp and then you get on the horses. So you're flying into remote camp. That's day one or whatever. And, you know, then you get on the horses for the whole day. You know, we didn't even make it to, to remote camp, to the uh, tent camp that night. We we uh, we stopped about three quarters of the way there and then finally got there. So it was two and a half days traveling into where we were hunting. And, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I absolutely love. Sorry, my wife. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I absolutely love is, is that piece of the hunt. You know, I mean, the... the the getting after the sheep is great, but the whole adventure part of it is, is what I really fell in love with. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's a great point, Dean. And you look even in British Columbia here, I sheep hunt every year. And uh, we're two days in before we even think yeah. about, you know, pulling the optics out, right? So, um, yeah, that's that's the cool part of a, a sheep hunt for me as well. It's that whole adventure. And, it, you know, even if you kill a sheep on day one, you probably spent four or five days getting to that point so you could pull that trigger on day one and then you're going to be another three or four days getting home on top of it so you got certainly a week invested it's a little different than you know what i used to do when i grew up you know white white tail hunting on the on the farm i just you know drive out in the back pasture go for a walk and 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 then be home for dinner right so yeah it's cool (laughs) i i i think about that all the time especially when i'm hunting with my brother at home and it gets cold with whitetail and he'll be like oh it's freezing you know we'd be in the tree stand for an hour and a half i'm like you have no idea like like, this is nothing you're gonna get in a truck with heat (laughs) yeah yeah right on so uh let's fast forward to the stone sheep hunt let's talk a little bit about that experience and and how that came about yeah, so that, I mean, that was with Nathan again. I mean, you know, after the doll sheep hunt, I mean, obviously I just, Nathan and I have always hit it off from day one. And, and um, the the uh, the stone sheep hunt, I got in a lot better shape for. That was the one thing I um, I realized on my, my doll was I, I'm never in bad shape, but I wasn't in cheap shape. Um, 
so I really, really tried. I mean, I, I got into yoga. I was doing, I was doing everything. So I really felt like going into the stone sheep hunt. I was, I was better um, prepared for it. Um, what I think a lot of people don't, don't prepare themselves for is the mental aspect. You know, I, yeah. I think the, the first doll hunt really kind of threw me into the mental aspect. I mean, there was a point on probably day 12 on that doll sheep hunt that, you know, we were making another climb and I, I just sat down. I'm like, I'm done. Like I was, I was mentally and physically done. I mean, we hunted another day, but I think that day before was my breaking point. So I, I, I really was able to prepare myself mentally. Um, I mean, obviously the physical aspect always came easier because I was an athlete and I knew that part of it. But the mental aspect, as tough as anybody thinks they are, these sheep hunts can get to a point, and, and if you, it, it, sometimes it doesn't take too long that, um, you know, it can beat you up mentally. You know, you question, why am I here? Or, or you know, can I do this? So um, for sure I was more prepared for the stone. Well, I, I'm with you on that mental aspect. And I think, Steve, we're going to have to do a show just on that because, you know, I, it's happened every time, uh, you know, every time for myself, just during a hunt, I've gone through that, mm -hmm. that mental aspect where you just, you hit the wall and, you know, you, but the first one's the worst one because you just don't know what you don't know. And when it hits you the first time, you're like, holy heck, what just happened? And you're like, you know, you just can't, you cannot prepare no matter how physically fit you are. And you talk to these guide outfitters, they tell lots of stories about, guys come in, they're maybe Navy SEALs or they're professional sports players and that mental aspect they're not prepared for. And it gets everybody. It really does, right? Oh, it's, so. It sound, sounds but so it, appealing. <laughs> yeah, it does. Until, you, until you're in that spot, you know. But the funny thing is, you for me anyways, you make the switch and I made it pretty quick. Like you you get to this point, you're like, oh God, what am I doing here? Why am I even doing this? And then all of a sudden, it's 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 kind of addicting because I think for me, you know, and not to keep going back to my hockey days, but I do that a lot. Like what, what hockey was for me was a barometer physically and mentally every single day, mm -hmm. you know, like practice or a game. You know, I, I had that barometer that I could put my head on my pillow and be like, ah, oh, you know, what? I did pretty good today. Or I was terrible in work. You know, as much as we work hard, everybody works. Hard, it's not the same. So. And, and I don't get that in whitetail hunting and, and some of the other hunts. I mean, yeah, there's some other hunts that will take it there, but nothing like sheep hunting. And that's what I – it almost it's – like, it's an addiction, right? Like, oh, yeah. I kind of want to get back to that point because it's pretty cool to, to push my body and my brain to the limit to see either I'm a baby or <laughs> I can handle it, you know? Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, it's a great way to describe it, Dean, and I, I think you're right on, spot on with that, and I, I feel exactly that way. I've never heard it described like that, but yeah, I think you're spot on with regards to that. So, um, Hey, can you talk about the yoga stuff? Um, I've heard guys doing that and been really beneficial. You felt that that made a difference in, in your game? Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, I actually got into it um, after hockey ended because one of the reasons hockey did end was I had a bad back injury. And, and um, you know, as once I really officially got done, I, I didn't skate for a while. I, I probably didn't exercise as much as I should for a while. And um, I was a mess physically when it came to that. And, and I started to skate again locally. And I thought, oh, you know, I don't even know how I, I got into yoga. I think someone just convinced me to go one night. And, you know, um, there, there are two things with it. I mean, number one, it's the stretching. Um, the fact that you're stretching like that, but then also the hardest thing is, you know, in yoga, like 
you got to hold one position for two, three minutes. Like what I realized really quickly is I am excellent at juggling 10 things at one time. What I'm not good at is doing one thing <laughs> for an extended period of time. And that's, and that's kind of what it, what it did. It really kind of just gives you that focus to, you know, and I thought I really, that helped significantly on the stone sheep hunt. Like I just, it, I enjoyed that hunt more then I enjoyed the dolls just because I, I kind of just was able to get rid of all the crap and really just focus on, all right, I'm on the horse for two hours. Let's just enjoy this ride. You know, then I'm going to spot the sheep mm-hmm. and we're going to, we're going to have a hell of a climb, but uh, I'm not going to worry about the climb yet. Cause I'm not there yet. You know? So, um, that's what it did. I mean, it was, it was, it was the stretching for sure, physical, but the mental, I think it just, it, it helped you focus. I mean, I, you know, I've kind of gotten away from it lately. I'm probably talking about it. Probably reminds me. I need to probably get back into it. <laughs> um, anything out uh, on that hunt that stands out? Um, the, I guess you've done the doll sheep hunt. You're, you know, the topography wasn't anything new. Anything that stands out uh, that you know, or is it, you know, getting up to your ram? Or what's what's your most yeah, impactful I mean, moment? I I that so the stone sheep hunt. Uh, you talking about the stone or the doll? The stone, stone is what I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah, so the stone was was a great hunt. I mean, Nathan really knew that area. So we were on horseback for um, a couple days, but, you know, we were checking the same areas. He knew there was some good sheep where we were going. So, um, you know, the climb on that hunt is probably what sticks out the most. We, <laughs> that that climb, um, and it, it, it wasn't bad. I mean... As far as length of time, it wasn't that bad. I mean, we probably did the climb, I would say, you know, in, in an hour and a half, you know, from the horses. But it was it was one hour and 25 minutes of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the, the climb is definitely what, what sticks out. You know, funny story about that hunt. So we're going for four or five days, going pretty hard, made a couple climbs. So we finally get the, uh, get the stone. And uh, so we, we bring it off the hill, we get it on the horses, we got about a, you know, two hour, two and a half hour ride, horse ride back to back to camp. And the last like, I don't know, four or 500 yards is, is the airstrip. So I'm like, oh, just we hadn't gotten off the horses in a while. So we just get to the airstrip and I get off the horse. I'm like, I'm just going to walk them the last half mile. I just need a break. I take like three steps, step in a hole and tear my ACL. <laughs> <laughs> thank god i did it then because i mean it was yeah. the end of the hunt but yeah. you know I, I did it on that that last 200 yards on flat ground um so yeah you yeah. just never know thank yeah. god it happened when it did yeah timing was good well you sure appreciate your sheep then you get home and you're like man if that had happened the other way so yeah you really appreciate things right well i was more disappointed because i was kind of on a cheap roll there i was gonna like i'm gonna keep going and get them all before i'm 50 but you know, then I had to have surgery, so that kind of mm-hmm. pushed things back a little bit, and then COVID hits, and here we are, five, six years later. So yeah, so that was my next that, question for you. Is that yeah. are you looking at uh, bighorns now, or what's the story there? Yeah, uh, I'm looking at them. I mean, you got any extra money you want to throw my way? All right, any extra tags up there? Yeah. So I mean, to be honest with you guys, I want to get them all, but. Um, I don't, I don't want my big horn. I mean, if I, if you had asked me 10 years ago, the first one I would have wanted was my big horn. Like that's right. Yeah. That's the one. I mean, yeah. Well, it seems like these desert hunts are becoming a lot more accessible too. There's a lot more sheep on the yeah. landscape, right? So 
um, you know, maybe that takes a little pressure off the price point too, hopefully down the road yeah. as well. But uh, yeah, fantastic. So uh, do you have anything lined up? Uh, you've been working towards it or you're just, it's, it's there, but you're just nothing specific. Well, I mean, I've been talking to Nate again. I'm like, Nate, you just, let's, let's go do it. Like, you know, let's figure it out and go do it. So we were talking about it last year and things just kind of um, fell by the wayside. We were talking about a Dallas SCI last year and, and um, I probably shouldn't mention that, but we were talking about the, we were talking about the shows last year and um, <laughs> um, it just with COVID and everything, those discussions kind of, kind of falter a little bit. Yep. Good right. that being. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, if you don't mind, Dean, let's just transition a little bit and talk about Swarovski and talk about the company. And, you know, one of the things I mentioned earlier, I have a real respect for the ethos of, of Swarovski. And they've done a really good job of bridging that gap between sort of the non-hunter and the hunter. You know, they've got their birding side of things. And I just had a curiosity, is the birding side, is that more revenue for the company or is it the hunting side or is it a 50-50? How does that look like? No, we're still, we're at this point, we're probably about 80% hunting. It is, eh? Okay, wow, fantastic. Um, you know, that's one thing I've always, I go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, you know, with the birders, if you read, you know, some of the statistics from say the U S fish and wildlife, they'll tell you that there's 60 million birders in, in at least the U S right. Or, or North America, you know, whereas what we sold in North America last year or, the, or previous to COVID, we were selling about 13 million big game hunting licenses last year. We sold almost 2 million more, but, um, the thing with the birders, right? Okay. There may be 60 million of them, but how much, how many of them are out there that are going to, um, spend $2,500 on a pair of binoculars that the, the numbers kind of decrease. Mm-hmm. You know, my mother who's 81 is a birder, but, uh, if she didn't have a son working at Swarovski, <laughs> she wouldn't be using Swarovski binoculars. So whereas the hunting community, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a necessary part, whether it's binoculars or rifle scopes, you know, typically we spend a lot more money on, you know, conservation gear, you name it. Um, and I think what, what that's done actually too, is like when I first started with the company, you could not have, I mean, you could be with hunters and talk to them about birding, but you couldn't be with birders and talk to them about hunting. You know, it was just like a no, no, but I think what, what we have as hunters done a decent job with is um, really promoted how much money we pump into conservation efforts mm-hmm. and things like that, because it's, it's a significant amount. And I think a lot of the birders, not all of them, a lot of them um, have realized that. So it's kind of helped bridge the gap between, between those two markets. Anyways, there's always going to be the people that, you of know, course. so, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a slippery slope that we walk sometimes. Um, you know, with social media and everything nowadays, we really got to be careful with it. Um, but we do it. So, yeah. And I think, it. I think, you know, you guys as a company have done a great job and I don't know specifically if it's yourself here in North America through your communications platform or it's just a company wide thing, but they've done a really good job of respecting um, the conservation aspect of hunting and, and, and how you guys talk about it, even through your, um, you know, through your, your website and through your social channels and how you portray it. I think you do a fantastic job and I think you guys stand out. You look at a lot of other brands, you know, it's just on the hunting side. They don't really, um, you guys do a really good job of balancing that equation. I think. Mm-hmm. So. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's something right from the get go that not only me, we, we've all had that attitude. Like, you know, if, if we don't, 
I, I wish I could do more, but you know, we've always had the attitude, like if we don't help these guys out, if we don't do something, you know, our business is not going to be there in, in five or 10 years. So, um, you know, we'll continue to do it. There are, there are plenty of situations. Like I said, I, I wish I could do even more than, than what we do, but we've got a good group. I mean, I think that, um, we hire a lot of hunters, a lot of our sales reps throughout the U S and even into Canada are, are all hunters. So they understand the value in it. Um, so for a lot of us, it's just us being ourselves, you know, it's not even, I mean, yes, it comes from the company and, and it comes from the top down, but a lot of it's just us being us, you know? Right on. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about products and actually more importantly, uh, you know, Swarovski, if you mention, you know, you go on a hunting form and say, I need some optics. What's the best? Swarovski's definitely name is coming up for mm -hmm. sure, without a question. Yeah. So, um, and so what is it that, you know, just holistically, I would say, Dean, that makes Swarovski uh, products stand out? Why are they always in the top, top of the heap? What, what really stands out? Like, I know we could get into the minutia, but just overall, what, what, yeah. what stands out? I think, you know, there's a couple of things. I mean, first and foremost, I think we're always pushing the envelope, right? I mean, our, our company motto is to constantly improve what is good. And that's what we do. Like, I, I know it sounds cliche, but, you know, just to look at history for a second, you know, where we really hit the map was back in, you know, 1998 when we launched our EL binocular. I mean, that binocular really... You know, I'll never forget it. There were a couple of us in the conference room. They, Austria came in with that binocular, put it on the table, and said, we're going to charge $1,500 for this binocular. And there were a few of us that looked at them like, are you nuts? <laughs> because pre previous to that, our, our best-selling, most expensive binocular was our 10 by 42 SLC. And at the time, that thing retailed for about $900. So this was a big jump. And, you know, we were backordered on that EL for 28 months. I mean, we couldn't catch up and really it's become kind of the staple of the industry. But what's nice on that binocular is whether you put it on just the binocular or even the, you know, as we went to the EL range too, we never rested on the laurels. We always, every couple of years, kind of made some updates, kind of listened to, you know, quite frankly, the complaints mm -hmm. we were getting. You know, I mean, it, it's hard. That's one of the things that's difficult with us, like, our, our consumers are so picky, right? And they have every right to be. I mean, because it's expensive, because 95% of our customers are, are gear freaks, you know? So they, they, they're overly picky, but that's, that's what we want, you know? I mean, so we really do our best to try and listen to, you know, the hunters out there and the birders out there and what they're asking for. So, um, you know, I think that's part of it. We're always pushing the envelope, but... You know, and then I think it just comes to, down to, to te technology. Right. You know, I think that, um, you know, you can talk about weight and field of view and ergonomics to your bull in the face. But uh, it, for me, it comes down to when someone looks through the mm -hmm. glass, how does it look? Um, and I think we've always pushed the envelope on, you know, coatings on the lenses and what we're doing inside the binocular to get every bit of light through it. Um, you know, and then even with the rifle scopes, it's kind of similar stuff. So I think... You know, pushing, just pushing things, changing things, um, and, and, and really just, you know, from a, from a marketing communications angle, I've always taken the approach. We never want to be that, that company that says, hey, these are the best glasses out there. We just want to take our product, put it in the right hands, and let those people talk and mm -hmm. let the, the, their actions speak. I mean, I don't, 
I've been pretty fortunate to work for a company that our product is awesome. I mean, yes, it's expensive. Uh, we get it, right? Mercedes and BMW doesn't apologize for their pricing either. You know, but if we're going to charge top dollar, we better make sure not only is the product good, but we back it up, right? I mean, so this is this is not product that's going to sit on your mm-hmm. desk and not be touched. You, Everybody, we're out in the field. We're, we're I mean, I am obnoxious to my optics product like i beat it up you know and and everybody does we you know so we we always want to make sure we stand behind it if something does go wrong and i think that um has gone a long way for us as well so it's it's really those two things the product and then standing behind it because stuff is going to happen it's going to break you take it up you know these mountains that you guys are hunting and beat them up the way i'm sure you do it stuff is going to happen yeah absolutely um right on uh love that so Dean, let's look under the lens of a sheep hunter. So actually more specifically or less specifically, I guess, a mountain hunter. So you got somebody that does a lot of mountain hunting. Um, yeah, maybe they're going to go on a whitetail hunt or maybe they're going to go kill a, a moose or something. But the bulk of what they do, they go on a sheep hunt, they go, they hunt goats um, and they only have a, a fixed budget, but they want a really good product. So they need a spotter, a rifle scope. Um, they need a, a bino range find uh, ability what what three of those or four of those products would you kind of say hey this is what you need to do that would kind of work for those scenarios for somebody that doesn't have the luxury of going out and buying four different rifle scopes that sort of stuff yep yeah so i think with sheep hunters i mean let's 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 start with the with the most valuable pieces that spotting scope right so let's let's assume that the guide doesn't have one you know i mean because a lot of times you know it's the guy that's carrying it but let's assume he doesn't for a second and you know over the years it's always been the 65 millimeter right because it's always been about weight i don't i don't want a huge spotting scope in my pack you know the 65 and what i what i find is that's correct about 75 percent of the time i mean you're absolutely right and, and i'm a weight guy too i mean if i don't have to carry an extra ounce on these terrible knees, then I, I don't want to. Um, and I think for 75% of the time, a 65 millimeter, like our, you know, ATS or STS 65. So, you know, several years ago, we launched our modular scope system that you're able to have either the angle of the straight eyepiece with either the 65, the 85 or the 95 scope. So I think in most cases, you know, that 65 is more then you'll ever need and it's got it's lightweight and then even when you break that thing apart you can pack it so easily in, in the smallest bag so it's great but what's happened is kind of weird so we launched that 95 um four years ago now five years ago now and we thought you know when we first took a look at it oh it's really nice but it's big and it's heavy and it's bulky but what we didn't foresee is the fact that it's so good optically that a lot of folks are sacrificing mm-hmm. the weight. They're just saying, "Hey, I, I know it's heavier, but the the it's the, worth it." What I am what I am seeing through the ninety five um, is is such an advantage. So for me, it's one of those two, right? If you're really if your first thing is weight and packability, our sixty fives are awesome. I mean, you can. They're so durable and they're so small. You can beat the crap out of them up, you know, on these hills, and they pack in the smallest part of your bag. You don't need a huge tripod to really, you know, put one on. And um, but, you know, and I think a lot of this falls on the guides. You know, some of the guides in Alaska that I know, and even up in where you guys are, 
they, they just they look at the 95 and it's so good and they're like my god i can see rings at whatever distance i want so they're going with the 95 but for me it's it's one of those two it's either you're gonna go small because of weight or you're saying ah you know what? I'm, I'm all right with a couple extra ounces i'm good give me that 95 because i want I, I don't i'd rather look at them here and not mm-hmm. go walking after them and and realize that so i think those are the two pieces for the spotting scope anyways right on okay cool um go ahead yeah no for sure so um i run the el ranges um what what do you what do you guys what do you what what, what do you run for binos when you're in the the mountains el range yeah. i mean i i it's hard to to justify going anywhere and not having the binocular and the rangefinder in the same same product you know and optically that thing is is awesome so you're getting awesome images you're 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 seeing whatever you need to see you've got you know the range capability and um you know there's some features on our new el range that we just launched that are pretty significant upgrades to what the el range was so there are some things there that you know and that's again going back to what i said about you know we really listened to what guys were complaining about i mean number one the button um is on the right side, which, you know, the first one was on the left. We get a lot of complaints um, from the archers, mo- mostly on that, you know, just, you know, wanting that most people want to carry it in their right and use it like that. So we've switched that. Um, but also the um, closest ranging distance is, is down to about 10 yards. So um, where it was 33 on the on the older one. Now for, for guys like you that are out doing the mountain hunts, doesn't matter. But, you know, again, it just kind of goes back to those were some of the some of the things we were getting hit on, so we've changed it for the new um, for the new one. But having the the two in one unit, the binocular and the rangefinder, you you can't beat it. I mean, our new NL Pures, the the new binocular that we launched um, in January, optically they are awesome. You know, unfortunately don't have the rangefinder in it, um, so so we'll see. But still, at the end of the day, to have the rangefinder and the binocular in a unit like that, it's it's you got it all. And are you running ten by forty twos? Is that what you you uh, are you running eights? Always. Yeah, yeah, good. No, nope. yeah, that's what I figured. I was joking. I was joking with a hunter the other day. He was asking about eights. I'm like eights. <laughs> I'm like the eighties call. So he goes, oh, I just like eights. I, I got drawn for doll sheep in uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and uh, I had a, a a set of eights, uh, competing competing brand, and uh, we jump on the airplane. We're flying in. And um, the lens, uh, one of the lens pop gave out. So there I was with a monocular uh, eight power for my uh, doll sheep. Wow. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good lesson. And uh, it was unbelievable that it literally were climbing on the airplane and it just it dumped, I don't know. And it was just nothing. So the whole hunt, I was like this. I, I used the spotter the whole hunt. Oh. That's all I used. Jeez. So I, yeah. I couldn't see anything, right? So yeah. good lesson. And uh, yeah, I'd never hunt with eights again. <laughs> not, not, uh, <laughs> in, not in the mountains. So, uh, cool for me, for me, personal, for me personally, I mean, when you got a 65 in the EL range, I mean, that's, that's about everything that covers everything. Right. I mean, yeah, I've, I've hunted with plenty of guys that they want the 95s and all that. And, and, um, you know, even so too, like what's, what's nice is I'll bring some of these, the 12 NLs on some of these hunts that even though they don't have the range finder, you know, at least one of us has the range finder. Um, I find sometimes that I'd almost rather make sure my guy, my guy definitely has to have, or I shouldn't say my guy, whoever I'm hunting with, because, 
you know, typically on these longer shots, right? Like I'm not, I don't want to do this and then get in the rifle. I want to be in the rifle. So I prefer someone and I've been on plenty of hunts that the guides don't have them. Um, I, I prefer whoever I'm hunting with, you know, even if, even if I have them to begin with, I'll pass them off and say, Hey, I use these once we get down close. Cause I just want you telling me the distances. I want to focus on making the shot, you know, because that, because there's so many options now with our rifle scopes, with the ballistic turrets and all that, we're shooting at longer distances. I mean, my, my doll sheet, uh, my doll sheep with Nathan, I shot that thing at, uh, 487. Right. And then he kept, uh, I smoked him. I mean, it was a perfect shot. Those things are so tough. It's unbelievable. I had, I had more respect for them after that hunt. I shot him four times, all four shots between 487 and 515, all hit, you know, within the same area, perfect shots. The thing was still walking. So it was just point being is it was nice to have Nathan just crawling, you know, 425, 445. And, you know, I was able to kind of just adjust that turret a little bit. Yeah. And we all know, like, unless you have the ability to range them, you're not shooting anything over 250, right? You just, you can't, right? There's no way you'd, especially in the mountains, you have no way mm-hmm. of discerning the range or anything like that. So that puts a whole new level of challenges for you on that sheep hunt if you don't have that ability to do it. Uh, okay, right. That was one of my biggest, that was one of my biggest concerns on the doll sheep. I kept on Nate, we gotta we gotta get inside 400. We got. I'm not. I, you know. I I've been busting my helmet for whatever it was. 21 days. I'm like, we gotta get inside a 400. He's like, dude, we're shooting. Where <laughs> we get a chance to shoot? <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic. Well, 487. That's uh, that's a great, um, great range for sure. Um, definitely uh, gonna kill him if you hit him. So um, yeah. now. Um, Rifle scope. What do you, what do you kind of in that mountain environment? What's your go-to on that? Oh, you know, <laughs> I, I get in a lot of trouble for saying this because you know we've got our, we got our Z threes, we got our Z fives, we got our Z sixes and our Z eights, and then some of our digital stuff. And obviously our Z eight is whatever you want to call it, the Cadillac mm-hmm. of hunting or the Mercedes of hunting. It's got all the bells and whistles. Um, kind of same thing with the Z6, right? The Z6 has been out longer than the 8. It's, it's an awesome scope, but it, pound for pound with with what I like as a hunter. I mean, my rifle setup, my scope setup, I prefer the Z5s. You know, the, the Z5s that we kind of relaunched a couple of years ago have some of the features when it comes to the spring systems of the, of the Z8, but the Z5 for me is just lighter. It's a smaller scope, um, and especially on those mountain hunts that I will carry a little bit more weight on spotting scopes and things like that, but my rifle setup is still going to be as small and as light as I possibly can make it. And I just, I like the Z5s. I, I you know, like a three and a half to eighteen forty-four is probably my most favorite scope. Um, so for me, that's what I pick. And to be honest with you, the Z8s probably have, you know, more features, more, you know, a little more light gathering or at least brightness through the scope. I shouldn't say light gathering, but it just, you know, because it's a 30 millimeter, it's going to seem a little brighter as you look through it. But um, I just love the Z5s. I mean, I've never really been in that situation where like, oh, my God, I only got 30 seconds of light left on the mountain. So mm-hmm. I'm shoot now mostly. You guys know it's, it doesn't really end up that way when you're up there. So I, I just like it small and light, and that Z5 does the trick. Yeah, I, I use that as well. Um, I've got the Z3 and Z5, and the 5 is great. Uh, I think 16 ounces is what they run at or something like that right in there. And uh, yeah, right when you guys market them as uh, like the mountain 
uh, it's called the Mountain Series or something. You you refer it specifically. It's kind of designed for the sheep hunter in mind, right? So, absolutely. I mean, when we were coming up with that scope, we, I mean, there was only one hunter in mind. It was the sheep hunter, and that's. You know, I mean, we work with a lot of these custom rifle manufacturers that make the guns specifically for that kind of stuff, and that's what they were asking for. And it's an awesome scope. I mean, we we announced it this year in Illuminated. Yeah, not a big fan of Illuminated scopes. That's just me personally, but I know it's 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 a growing segment of our industry. Um, but I just love the Z5. I really do. Yeah, I'm with you. I love it as well. It's been great. Um, ballistic turret. It's just so flexible. Uh, the Swaro app is fantastic. It works great with it. Not that I use it in the, you know, but at the range, that sort of stuff. It's so, yeah, it's a very versatile product. And yeah, for sure, I'd, if I buy another one, it's definitely in Z5 for sure. Um, maybe if I had an endless budget, I might go up. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that one fits the mark for hey, me. Hey, can you, you can't, you, you can't afford not to right. buy it on these sites. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah fantastic. Um, but that that Z5 with that turret, like I, you know, I just like to look down the barrel of a gun. I like a regular plex in there and be able to dial that turret in and be done with it. That's I don't like to mess around too much when I'm when I'm when I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. Fantastic, yeah. Uh, so now, uh, so you got your three products. Anything like guys that have them for me, and I, this is kind of being selfish here. Um, in terms of maintenance, I, you know, I've read the manuals, that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. but there's not a lot to do to it, right? Like, and I know you guys are fantastic supporting it. You know, if you need it refurb, you can send it back, that sort of stuff. But anything we need to do to look after these other than just taking good care of them? No. Yeah, I mean, taking good care of them, I, I kind of joke with people, like, take them, in the, take them in the shower with you. Like, the, 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 the biggest thing that we see when people aren't taking care of it, I know how easy this happens, right? is if any dirt mm-hmm. or sand or grit gets on the lenses and you go to clean it with, you know, just your shirt, right. just something that's probably not great without getting that stuff off first, you know, you can scratch the lenses. And we see that a lot. I mean, you know, if I talk to someone in customer service, like, oh, why didn't they get a cleaning kit? And I, I say, okay, I see your point. But when you're on a hill mm-hmm. seven days into a sheep hunt, you know, and there's stuff everywhere and it's been raining for the last three days it gets a little difficult but a lot of times if i'm in the field i'll just take some of my water and just make sure that stuff's off it and then clean it you know but that's the biggest thing we see but really just just taking care of them you know i mean we 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 have such a good service department and it's because we know like i said before that this stuff's gonna get used i mean it's gonna get beat up it's gonna i mean we don't make product that you we're you know tiptoeing around Mm -hmm. on eggshells like it's in and out of backpacks. It's off horses. It's in and out of vehicles. It's getting tossed around on the rocks when they you get, get dropped. Yeah, last, you know, they get dropped. It's all that kind of stuff. But you know, I, I would, you know, try those little cleaning wipes that, you know, if you don't get ours, they sell them at Walmart or, or wherever you guys have up there. You know, so, um, but always make make sure that there's not any grit or anything on mm. there before you're doing that. That's that's the biggest thing we see. Okay, good stuff. Uh, new products coming out. So you had the NL Pure come out last year. You've gone to the 115, I think that came out last year as well. Um, anything that yep. we're looking for, or anything you want to just talk a little bit about that uh, stands out for for guys? Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is gonna be a big year for us. I mean, there's some I can't talk about <laughs> just yet, so they're coming a little bit later on. But we, so you're right. We had the NL Pure. I think that was in July, maybe. 
um, and the 115 was in August. And then this January, we just launched the uh, the new EL range. It's got some new features, which are really nice. We launched um, a couple of rifle scopes from our sister company, Collis, uh, which we, we kind of pushed them a little bit more towards that whole precision long range shooting market. And then what am I missing? Oh, we have the new uh, generation two digital rifle scope, which is uh, pretty amazing product. So we'll, we're just getting into kind of shipping all that stuff. I know there's some pretty heavy back orders on the EL ranges and the NL Pures right now. Cool. So shot was canceled this year, obviously. Um, what? So what does that mean for you guys in the, you know, that was kind of your flagship event where you could bring out this new stuff. So you're rolling something new out. When might we see that? I know you can't speak too much about it, but when are we going to be looking for something like that from you guys? We'll probably have some more launches um, okay. mid-year for sure. And then, um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, it's kind of one of those things with shot. Like I went into January, I'm like, huh, it's kind of nice not having to go to <laughs> shot after 20 years. Like, you know, I'm not really a big Vegas guy. Like I like it for about a day and have a nice dinner that I've had enough of it. But um when we got to when SHOT Show was, we, you, you could just kind of realize, like, how much you actually get done. And even all the shows that happen in January and early February, it's such a big springboard. So we're doing more virtually. We're doing more videos. Um, you know, to be honest with you guys, we're in a pretty fortunate position. When we were, you know, last year at this time, we were very concerned where our business was going to go. I mean, as was everybody in the world, right? We just... We had no idea, um, and for the first couple months of, uh, of COVID, we did struggle um, quite a bit, but then when we started to see all of these people getting back outside, like I mentioned earlier, we sold over a million and a half more big game hunting licenses in the United States this year than ever, so um, we really ended up did having an excellent year in, in 2020, and that's carried over. So that's helping us, you know, because people are clamoring for product. But I do think, um, you know, I've got concerns because last year we had all those trade shows, right? We had them. So we at least got them in before um, everything went south. This year is a little different. So we're trying to do some different things virtually. We'll see how it all works out. Well, we're, what we're seeing is some of these virtual trade shows are not um, as good as they as I thought they were going to be. But what we are seeing is like the auctions and things like that, I know you guys are doing some of that too, um, are going yeah. great. Um, and I think that's obviously because, you know, before you kind of had to be at the show, right? You had to be at the show to go to the auction or whatever. Now anybody in the world or whatever can kind of go on. So we're seeing a lot of activity with that. So we'll uh, for sure stay pretty heavily involved with all that. Yeah, that's fantastic, Dean. And uh, on that note, you know, Swarovski's always been one of the forefronts, uh, stepping up and supporting conservation initiatives across the board. I see you guys everywhere. And so just hats off to your organization and you personally for everything you've done. You've supported the Wild Sheep Society of BC. I'm a director with the foundation. I know you guys do a ton of support with the Wild Sheep Foundation. Um, you know, our event, the Jurassic Classic, you guys have donated to that. So you know, a uh, lot of respect, to, and I'll be frank, that's, uh, you know, a big part of when I'm making choices about my optics, that's that's in my mind. You know, it doesn't hurt that you guys are the best on the market as well, so, but uh, certainly is a, uh, a factor for me as well, and uh, so just hats off to Swarovski and, and you and everything your team does to support conservation across the board, so thank you. Well, I appreciate it. It's, it's a win-win for us, right? I mean, you know, 
first and foremost, we get we get the marketing visibility, which is important, you know. But then we're also helping out these organizations and all that, so it's it's definitely a win. Yeah. You know, and it and it's been easy, right? Like, so I I think going forward, you know, I think we'll get hopefully get mm-hmm. back into trade shows at some point. But I also think people are going to learn a lot from this and and what works, what doesn't, what can be, what you can get the most mileage out of. So I think there's um, there's a lot of good that's going to come of it. You know, I think we're all kind of in the same boat. We're like ready for all of this craziness to end. But um, on the same token, it's 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 been a little good little bit of a reset, even for us as a brand. We we you know, there are some things that we've realized, like, God, that was just a lead sled. We don't need to, we don't need to do that. Let's do more of this. Let's work with these auctions more because we're seeing a lot of play. So um, I think it was a good learning experience. Hopefully we're, we're seeing mm-hmm. the light at the end of the tunnel. And, yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Well said for sure. So, hey, before we let you go, um, what's up for the show? So Swarovski Optic Quest, um, you said this year has been a little bit, some reruns because some hunts were canceled. What's on the docket for the coming year that we yep. can look for? Yeah, so we, we, uh, we'll we have a lot from last year, which was great. We had a lot of good hunts last year. Then we were able to, you know, this year we went to New Mexico. We did some elk hunting, which is always awesome in September. That was the first trip I actually even did coming out of COVID. And uh, we did some Kansas whitetail and then uh, planned on heading over to Hawaii to uh, – to do some access deer hunting over there. You know, what I try to do with the show is, I mean, obviously we need the white tail and the, and the bears and stuff like that, that everybody loves, but then just try to do some stuff yeah. off the beaten path that, you know, I mean, I, I like to entertain people too. I don't want to jam it down their throats. Like, Oh, this guy's going white tail hunting again. <laughs> so I'd like to just do different places. And, um, you know, so I, I kind of look at it like we'll do 20 or 20 to 40% of our hunts with the show that are like legit, like, whitetail sheep stuff like that and then we just try to find some odd stuff that you know people might not have thought about before i mean you know the ones in argentina that we do and things like that so we'll uh we'll hopefully get back to that at some point right on well i've taken enough out of your day uh i know steve's got lots on his schedule too so i appreciate (laughs) you taking the time dean and uh and just thanks to swarovski and, and all you guys do to support us and uh and really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today no problem